Hello and welcome to the Disconnected Gamers Podcast, where we reconnect with gaming and life. I am one of your hosts, Andrew, also known as J-Bond. With me, not as always, because Mike is not here, but I have a very special guest. Uh, everybody who is listening, feel free to clap in your cars and welcome in Ben Wander. Hey, uh, I, I hope you didn't just cause a bunch of accidents right now because you have a, a lot of people driving on the highway without their hands on the steering wheel. It's true. Well, if they're in Teslas, they're okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Um, so let's talk a little bit about yourself. Um, you've My favorite topic. Of, right. Everyone's favorite topic. <laughs> uh, you've had quite the history in the gaming industry. I was looking at your website. And so it, th- did you start in 2009 or is that just kind of where the experience part of your website kind of goes back? Because it looks like I saw you worked on Battlefield Hardline. You worked on Dragon Age uh, Inquisition. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So the my first job in games was a, an internship with EA Mobile, mm-hmm. um, which started off as like, you know, your standard internship. And then by the end of it, I was designing a full game by myself. So that that was really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I left that and went to Silicon Knights uh, because I wanted to try AAA. Then I went, um, oh no, I guess I went to uh, XMG, which was a really tiny mobile company. And then I went to Silicon Knights and made uh, a uh, help program a game. And I did uh, my best to make it good and it wasn't. <laughs> and then after that, I, I jumped uh, back to EA to BioWare. And yeah, I, I worked on Dragon Age there and then Battlefield at Visceral and then uh, A Case of Distressed, which is my, my current indie game. Correct, which launched on the 8th. Um, and you should all download it if you're listening. Uh, so yeah, when you, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And so when you, um, you got that first internship, was that like, were you at all like a hundred percent gung ho about getting into the industry? Like that's, I like that. I like to hear the history part of it. Like, so you were, were you applying for jobs and like you landed the internship? Were you just out of college? Were you making a career change? No. Yeah, I was, so I was, uh, in college mm-hmm. and, um, uh, sorry, can you hear me? You're you're cutting off a little bit. Like I'm getting I'm getting your questions, but yep. it's it's a little bit choppy. But I can, can hear you... you perfectly. But it is probably like my there's two wireless routers in my house, and I'm connected to the not good one because my oh yeah, it's not working. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So I'll just keep talking and and assume that the question that I'm answering is the one you asked. Yep. Um. Uh. But so yeah, so it was an internship uh, that I got in college. Um. Because being in the game industry was my my dream job forever. Uh, I, I I always tell this anecdote, but when I was 11 years old, I, I picked up a copy of EGM, and it had it was the E3 special, and it was the time when they the PS2 had just been out for a year and was getting a bunch of good games, and then the GameCube and Xbox had just been announced, and I was flipping through this magazine and seeing the electronic entertainment exposition and and all of its, you know, former glory with how huge it was and the spectacle and everything. And that's when I understood that, Hey, people get made, get paid to make video games. That's crazy. Right. Right. And I'd always been like a huge fan of video games. And so from, from that point onward, I kind of wanted to be a game developer, whatever that meant. And I didn't really even know what that meant at the time. But yeah, since since being pretty young, I, I knew that I wanted to get in the games industry. And that was that was a target. And I, I managed to get to that target uh, with that internship. So that was a lot of fun. There you go. Now, so um, 
you you do your internship, you bounce around to a few places, you work on some pretty pretty cool games, and then you like what happens then, right? Have you been working on indie stuff on your own? Did you just decide like, okay, I think I've got a nice cachet of knowledge and tools and insight. I'm going to go for it. Yeah, that was mostly the idea. I mean, you always sort of, I think everybody does this, right? You evaluate your life at different points and you Mm -hmm. go, what do I want to do next? You know, and I had been doing AAA development for a while. You know, I started in mobile and then I went to AAA and that was really interesting. And I was looking around and thinking, what's, what's the next step in my career? And for me at the time, I was just playing a lot of indie games. And so it naturally made sense that, hey, these are my favorite types of games. Why don't I go for it? It was a scary decision to make. It was uh, maybe not the most thought out decision, I guess, because I didn't I didn't have a game plan. I didn't have any idea what I was going to make, but I just knew, okay, the next thing that I want to put out isn't something that, you know, a AAA company like EA could ever make because it's not going to sell the number of copies it needs to sell to keep all the all of these people in in business and to, you know, make the stock go up and things like that. So that was uh, I knew that I needed to jump ship to do the next thing I wanted to do. Yeah, for sure. Right. So uh, only because you brought that up, is that, is that sadly a kind of overarching fear of game development in the AAA scene where you're like, if this doesn't, if what we're doing doesn't work, the stock, you know, not necessarily like the stock doesn't go up, but like, is, is there as much of a fear on the AAA side of it as there is on the indie side of it of like, if this game doesn't sell, what happens? Yeah, I think so. Uh, uh, thankfully, some companies like really big ones like sure. EA and Activision probably can weather a couple of failures. But, uh, you know, look at Visceral Games. They right. made the Dead Space series, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Then uh, Hardline came out and and had a decent reception, but, you know, wasn't earth shattering. Nobody's talking about it years later unless you're interviewing a former dev. Um, and then sort of sat on a Star Wars thing for a while and then got shut down. I mean, it just, it, it happens like that sometimes. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's a day-to-day worry. I mean, for sure, you're a lot closer to the finances as an indie developer. But, right. you know, if you're in any studio that's made a couple of flops, suddenly you're starting to question, you know, where does the company go from here? Gotcha. Um, so you So you work on a case of distrust. And honestly, like... I remember when I was I was at PAX West and it was uh, I was I bumped into Greg Miller who was checking it out and he was like you got to look at this you got to play this and that was when I had had checked it out but it was the the design aesthetic that Saul Bass um, you know kind of vibe you had going on um, where does where does that come from Yeah so that that inspiration you got it totally right it's inspired by a, a graphic designer from the 1950s named Saul Bass who did a lot of film posters and then did a lot of credit sequences. Yep. Uh, I actually got into that by looking at a website called The Art of the Title, mm-hmm. which was shown to me by a coworker all the way back in 2009 at my EA Mobile internship. And this website just catalogs title sequences from different movies that you know have an interesting credit sequences at the beginning of their movie. A lot of films nowadays don't really do that, but that was a big trend kind of in the 70s and right. 80s. And some movies will still do it to sort of harken back to that, to that era. Mm-hmm. And the guy who started all of it was this guy named Saul Bass. 
and I just got more and more interested in him and I loved the look of his work. And when I went out to make my own game, I realized, hey, nobody really is doing this thing. Why don't I give it a shot? Yeah, no, I, I went to school for graphic design, so that's why I like it. It caught my eye. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's. Um, I'm glad to hear it. Uh, and then, um, in terms of the loca- like the game takes place in San Francisco. Um, was there was there something that drew you to that location? Was there like a book you read or a game you played, or did you live in San Francisco at one point? Like, what's um, what kind of drew you to that that area? Yeah, so for uh, three years, when when I made Battlefield Hardline, I was living in San Francisco. And uh, initially, when I came up with the idea for this game, a lot of Prohibition and 1920s stuff centers around the East Coast. Honestly, because the East Coast was more... Uh, dramatic with gangsterism, uh, with like names that you would know and names that you could recognize. Uh, The more I uh, researched into it, the more I realized that the West Coast had just as much stuff going on, but less people got caught because the government was just more corrupt about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the the politicians in California were getting their their hands wet a lot more uh, regularly than maybe more of the Puritans kind of on the east and in in the center of the country. So, I I was again, I was researching New York a little bit and I realized I don't really know that much about New York City to begin with. I've been there one time. But Mm -hmm. why am I stretching for this? Why am I why am I pulling at something when, you know, at the West Coast was just as interesting? There have been less stories told about it. And I lived there for a while. So when you tell me, hey, this is what was happening in Pacific Heights in 1922, I know exactly what that means. I can picture it. I can I can see it. So mm-hmm. uh, that as soon as that idea sort of popped into my head, I knew that was the direction that I wanted to go in. Gotcha. Now, as far as um, your development process, when you when you start a, a project like this, obviously there's a lot of 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 historical research to help kind of create the the story that you've got when you get to a point in research is that when you and this is this is more a question of like i don't know the way that people make games um do you write like it's like writing a song right do you write the lyrics and then you start prototyping do you start prototyping and see what happens based on research that you've done like can you talk about that a little bit and just kind of how it kind of flowed through I, I wish I had a perfect answer for you. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's a template. If you ever find one, please just send it to me right yeah. away. Yep. Um, I in terms of the research of it, I just I loved the 1920s for a while. So even before making this game, I I had done a lot of research into it because I think I thought it was interesting. I thought it was a cool period. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that helped a lot when coming up with the idea for the game, with the characters for the game. But the rest of it is just kind of a mishmash. I was doing code while I was doing art, while I was researching story and writing characters. It sort of happened all at once. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's the best way to do it. And I don't know if that's how everybody does it. Sure. But it it seemed to work for me where I would get the art to a point and really love it and then realize, oh, the, there's not really that much gameplay here. Let me do more coding. And then I'd get that to a really good point and understand, oh, well, these characters are kind of empty. Let me flesh them out a bit. And then that would look really good. But then it would be so much better than the art was that I would look at the art and go, ah, you know what? It's not really, it's not doing what I would want it to do for these new 
new characters, so let's improve the art a little bit. And then, oh, well, you know, now the gameplay feels a little weak. Let's do that. So it was this constant cycle of trying to have everything catch up with itself, and that mm-hmm. sort of pushed everything forward a little bit, I think. Yeah, I was to say, it just it sounds like you were building the house, basically, and it was like you got the frame, and then you, you put up wallboard, but you're like, great, we've got walls, but now we need to paint them. And then, oh, now the room's painted, but there's nothing in it, and then now we've got to get some furniture all in moving forward that's really yeah that's a yeah neat, exactly that's kind of a neat way and so you've you've done uh every basically not and i i mean i'm i'm reaching but like you've you've done everything in this game you've done all aspects of it did you have any influence from friends that were indies you know how do you is there is there and I want to say that there isn't because I feel like I've talked to so many indies about this. Is there ever a point where you're like, I want to show you my game, but I'm nervous you might take my idea? No, absolutely not. So I, I do want to make one thing clear. I didn't do the audio for the game. I think okay. the music is amazing and it's fantastic. Yep. Um, and it was done by a, a really, really good friend of mine. Uh, named Mark Wilson, who I worked with at Bioware, actually, and before that had also worked at, um, he worked on L.A. Noir. So he really liked this kind of uh, detective piece, this period piece, and he he volunteered to do the the soundtrack for it, and I think it's phenomenal. Agreed. In terms of, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, in, in terms of other indies stealing my idea, absolutely not, no. And I think that's something that uh, early on in game development, especially when you're a student or when you're just starting to make your first games, mm-hmm. you're really precious with your ideas. The things that you realize, or at least that I realized, is my ideas suck, like at the beginning. <laughs> and I think, I, I, and I really think that they're good. I genuinely think that they're amazing ideas. And then I describe it to someone and they go, well, yeah, but what if the player did this or wouldn't, you know, this other game that already came out three years ago, does that exact same thing you're talking about, but way better. Or, you know, you're trying to do multiplayer, but think about how that would work. You're going to have like 10 people all in the same spot, all just like camping each other. And, and people start to break it down really quickly. And so I think sharing your idea, especially with other developers early on who know what it's like to to make a game and to iterate and stuff, gets you a lot of that experience immediately uh, focused on your idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on on top of that, if you're worried that people are going to steal your idea, you, like how how much you like your idea is how much somebody else likes their own idea. You know, everybody right. has ideas in their head, especially indie game devs. So anybody who who's got something to pull off loves their idea way more than you than they love your idea. So mm-hmm. they're not going to take it. They've already got stuff going on. So I think that's I think that's an important lesson for people to to learn and really makes your games a ton better once you learn it because again you get all this feedback right away kind of from inception. Yep. Now is that um I, I would assume that's a thing that you kind of get a, a boatload of when you go to like a game show like PAX or um, you know, showing in the indie booth because it's like one, you're surrounded by other developers trying to do the same thing. Um, and you know, and you're getting all this player feedback at the same time. Yeah. The, the player feedback at those shows is phenomenal. I mean, especially if you're looking to do, um, usability feedback, like Mm -hmm. your, your UX feedback for all the graphics on the screen or whatever, all the interactions, it's phenomenal because there are so many different people playing the game and none of them are your friends. So they're not trying to make you, you know, uh, feel good about it. You're just seeing them 
try to play the game from the beginning and understanding what parts they're struggling with. So by the time I took it to shows, I think I knew what I wanted the game to be, but I didn't, I wasn't exactly sure. I mean, you're never sure until, until very close what, what the interactions are and, and what, what you want, how you want people to interact with this world. And I think the more I took it to shows, the more I realized, oh, okay, I actually, I don't have to explicitly describe this part, but also people aren't understanding this other thing. And those shows were phenomenal for doing stuff like that. Gotcha. Do you, do you have any, um, I was going to say, what's the like one best piece of feedback that you got at a show? If, if there was like a, like maybe like an aha moment type piece of feedback that happened. Yeah, so I would say there were two in terms of one that I wasn't sure if people would get it and they understood it right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a the the first thing that pops up in the game is some text with a little triangle underneath it. Yep. And I really wasn't sure if people were going to understand, hey, that triangle is a button, you should click it. And I'd been debating for a long time. And even with my audio guy, we were going back and forth of, well, are people going to understand it? Sure, we've shown it to our friends, but they're all gamers. And this game's kind of intended for not a gaming audience or something. Mm-hmm. Are they going to get it? And and I And I went to the show without any tutorial, mostly because of the time constraint. I went, you know what? Let's just let's just put it out there and see what happens. And everybody understood it. I, I didn't I you know, I had old ladies playing the game who just said, oh, I'm here with my my boy and he's just wandering around stuff. And this thing looked cool. Let me try this game. And nothing. I mean, no explanation required. Yep. Everybody understood. Hey, I'm just staring at this triangle. Why don't I try to press it? Oh, look, the, the thing moves forward. So that was cool. From the other side of it, uh, there is scenes in the game where you click on evidence, uh, you, you click, you, you sort of scan a room for evidence and you click on stuff that's interactive. That stuff shows up in your notebook for a really long time. People had no idea that there was a notebook in the game and it really surprised them that they could go in there and click on it and do all that stuff. So, uh, I, it went through a lot of iterations of, okay, what does the button for the notebook look like? At, at first there wasn't even a button. It was just, you would hit an escape, the, the escape key. And obviously that, that I knew that wasn't a permanent solution, but mm-hmm. even once I put a button in there, it wasn't as obvious. So the idea of blinking the button while you're blinking the clue or, or having words highlight, depending on if you're talking to somebody or you're in, or you're in a scene or whatever, mm-hmm. all of that stuff came naturally from watching people play the game and understanding that, okay, they're not getting it. They're, they're searching around the room cause they think there's more stuff, but they're not actually going through their clues and trying to figure this thing out. Right. Well, and then there's even even that you you put in the audio cue where like certain things you click, you hear the scribbling in a notebook, which was like another right subtle right. subtle bit to be like, hey, look at the notebook. Actually, one of my favorite things about the note notebook was, um, and without spoiling anything too much for people who haven't played, um, you get to contradict people with certain evidence. And like I just for for fun went through almost every single thing just to see what would happen. Like, oh, maybe this has nothing to do with this at all. Let me see what happens. And, um, it was it was fun to go through it and see how that whole system worked. Obviously, I'm not gonna say whether or not there was anything groundbreaking, um, or like magical discoveries. But it was neat to go through that process and be like, I wonder what would happen if I just tried to completely throw this thing under the bridge. Um, in terms of yeah. proving, in terms of being like, you know, uh, almost like a game of Clue. Like it was, it was the guy in the in the bathroom with a nightstick. Um, but it was that whole process. To, it was. It took me a little bit 
to get used to it, to be like, oh, wait a minute. No, 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 no. I know that this happened over here because I remember the clue that I wrote down. That makes sense. Let me take this, go here. And then at the end of the game, I was totally wrong. And I was like, and it was, I thought I had it. Like I literally like at one point in the game, I was like, I know exactly what happens. I've seen enough cop shows. I got this. And (laughs) nope, I was wrong. I was totally wrong at the end of it. I was like, I was half right, I guess. Without okay. spoiling. Right. I'm not gonna spoil. I was half right. But it's um but like honestly, like yeah, I love the I loved the story. I thought it, it it definitely kept me engaged. I was like I really wanted to know what was going on and I wanted to figure it out. Um and then at the end I was I was pleasantly surprised because it I there was a part of me that was like, Oh wow, like I figured it out what I thought was fairly early on in the game and then it was like it totally went sideways and I was like, Oh, never mind, this is impossible now. This couldn't work at all. <laughs> um, nice. Even, well, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, and even like there was there were parts where like you would you would gather clues about like one area that you were in and then you'd go to another place and all of a sudden it would be like, but there was this other thing you couldn't see because you didn't know it was there until you go back now. And then you had to go back and right. be like, okay, where was that thing that that other person told me about? Because it can only it can only exist in this space. So now how do I find it? And I liked I liked that because right. it, it forced you to go, you know, to different places to get information. You're interrogating people, you know, you, and you have to ask the right questions. Right. I, I appreciate your abstract descriptions of, of this. I think I think it's good. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't like I, think I don't want exactly without, yeah. be like, well, if you go to this place and and then you do this exact thing, I, I always I, I always hate giving away too much right at, the, at one point like if you and it's why i like i don't watch a lot of game trailers because i feel like at one point if you've experienced a good enough of a game or heard enough of a game or seen enough of a game when you go through the game and have that experience it's not the, it's not as uh unique like if someone tells you all about a yeah. movie and then you go and see the movie you won't probably have the same experience they had going in with nothing to know about a scene that might happen or a character that shows up in the end. I think it's, I think it's better to let everybody just kind of, kind of experience it on their own while being ambiguous as, yeah, as exactly. ambiguous as possible. Well, and, and again, I, I'm, I'm the same way. If I, if I know I'm going to watch something or play something or, or do anything with it, as soon as I know that I'll go media blackout on everything else. So, you know, Red Dead Redemption two is a game that I know I'm going to play. So exactly. if they put out any trailers, I'm not going to watch them. Yep. Ten, ten, um, ten. And, and for me, yeah. <laughs> and, and for me, that's because like, I, I know how, how I make a game and how, how I think everybody makes a game, which is you don't make it for the trailer. You, you make the trailer to set, uh, to, to sell it. But when you're making the game, you're not going, okay, here's, here's the bit that's going to be in the trailer and, and they're going to know this. So I'm going to play around with that knowledge. No, you think, Oh, the player doesn't know anything. They only know what I'm telling them through the game. And it's only later on when you make the trailer, when they are going to come in with some other knowledge. So I just kind of like experiencing it the way the, the author wanted me to. Right. Oh no, absolutely. Um, it was, I was, I was very much the same way with um the last of us when that was coming out and it was like they gave us like right. a trailer and it was like audio and words and i was like that's oh my god and then it would be like you'd you'd have nothing for a year and then it'd be like okay tell me more about the game i want to know more about the game and then i'd be like no no no, i don't want to know more about the game i'm good 
I'm good. Yeah, 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 exactly. I'll wait for it. I'll wait for it. It's fine. I'll wait for it. And now we're like, I'm at the same place with Last of Us 2. It's like, I want to know more about the game, but I also just want to play it. So just give me the game. Don't give me any more trailers. You know, um, I think yeah. it's a really, I think it's a really interesting thing too, because there's also times where I'm like, has, and I'm sure somebody has like, have they ever made a game trailer that literally had no, you know, it didn't, it was like a scene that didn't actually get put into the final game, right? Like they made the trailer and then at the end of the game, they were like, Hey, we took that scene out. Did you guys, uh, there's the gotta be, there's gotta be some <laughs> Kojima trailer that had some ridiculous crap in it. Like I'm sure the phantom pain had some stuff that wasn't in the game or something. So right. yeah, I guess, I guess I will watch Kojima trailers because that's, that's as much fun as the game itself. I mean, whatever. Right. I just want to see what crazy shit is in your head. Well, that's, yeah, exactly, right? Like, I was talking to somebody about it the other day, and I was like, there's no way Death Stranding makes any sense. Like, by any, like, if you watch all of the trailers, and then you somehow magically get to play the game, I'm like, there's no way any of it could possibly make sense. Like, there's no way you're like, oh my god, that thing from the trailer. I'm like, that's not gonna happen. I was like, you're gonna be... No, yeah, yeah, exactly. At the end of the game. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So, is, so is, is, a, is are Kojima games on your, your high, high ranking list? Oh, I don't know. That's an interesting question. I know um, I, I was a really big fan of uh, Metal Gear Solid 3. That was that was my number one. Okay. And then I fell off of 4. I wasn't really as big into 4. And I, I didn't play 5. I should. I hear 5 is amazing. I was... Uh, so making a case of distrust for the the first year that I made it, I was mm-hmm. traveling around Southeast Asia and I had no access to consoles or, or a powerful PC or anything. So I kind of there's one year in my gaming history that's mostly blacked out because I wasn't around for it. And uh, unfortunately, MGS five came out during that year. Gotcha. Well, I think I was going to say at one point, I swear it was free on PS Plus. So it's on my account and I haven't played it either. Um Oh uh, yeah. Okay. For me it would have been Metal Gear Solid 2. Um but right. I mean it, there there's one where the trailer messed with people too. I mean that was all oh hey you're not playing the guy that you think you're playing. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You spend the whole game playing somebody else. Um I'm trying to think what was another. I feel like the Half-Life games did it really well too. Um later on and what else? Right. So uh, you mentioned Southeast Asia. I also noticed that you do tend to travel. You seem to travel a lot. Is that so? Are like gaming and traveling the two the two bigger passions in your life? Yeah, I mean, I think gaming is number one with a bullet. Uh, if if I could do one of them, I know exactly which one it would be. Yep. But I think travel is a ton of fun, and if if gaming is you know my passion. Travel is my favorite leisure activity. I, I really I enjoy it so much. You get to learn a lot about different cultures. You get to be inspired by a ton of people. You know, you make friends who live all around the world. It's it's awesome. I I think everyone should travel if they can. Gotcha. Now, so where was the where's the last place outside of of the United States that you've been? Uh, well, the last place was Canada, uh, okay. and that's that's because that's where I'm. I grew up. Gotcha. And so my parents live there, so I go and, and, and visit them a lot. Um, but th- before that, I was in um, England and then uh, Dublin and then Romania for a really brief sort of 20-day stint or something. But that was a lot of fun, too. Tw- 20 days seems like a long time. 
to me. <laughs> I haven't spent that much right, time. Right, yeah. right, yeah. Now, so do you, when you go, when you travel, do you, are you like the, the backpacking type? Like you bring like limited amount of stuff and it's all about just kind of exploring? Like what's your, do you like have landmarks you want to hit when you go? Is it, do you just go and whatever happens, happens? Um, kind of my fiance plans all of it, which is the best thing for me. And I probably shouldn't publicly admit that because she'll get upset, (laughs) but she does, she does a lot of the legwork and I really just like traveling and eating food. Um, but yeah, typically we travel on, on the lighter side. Like we're not, you know, lugging suitcases around with us. We like to move around wherever we go just to see more stuff. Mm -hmm. It's pretty slick. I that's it's the one thing that I like I have like friends and and people I work with and they're always like yeah I'm going I'm going away for like a week and I'm like how do you like how do you get enough out of a week long trip like I feel like I'm either really bad at traveling or just lazy because it seems like I I could never go somewhere for like a few days that's out of the country I feel like I would invest too much time and money to get there that I wouldn't get to do enough in those in like, I wouldn't get to cram enough into a short amount of time. Like I feel like if I go somewhere, I got to go for like at least like a week and a half to kind of do all these things. Right. No, I mean, I think a week and a half is, is probably a good, a good metric, like a seven day stint. Uh, But even then you're going to go and, and not see everything, you know, that's, that was part of why my fiance and I left quit our jobs and, and traveled for a year was because the the 10 day, two week, three week stints aren't nearly enough to really experience a country. So we wanted to spend longer in places. We wanted to make friends in places to see the culture a little more intimately. And that that was a lot of fun. I hope that someday I can do that again because it was just such a blast. Right. Um, now, so we'll, sh- we'll shift back to current day. What's in your gaming console what's in your pc like what games are you what what games are you playing right now you've you case of distrust is out so you can take a little bit of a break what are you what are you playing yeah so i just got kingdom come deliverance which i uh kick-started three years ago or something mm-hmm. and uh that that game just came out it's kind of it's skyrim but in medieval, uh, ooh, I want to say Poland, but I think that's wrong. It might be medieval Prague. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm, I'm only, the reason I don't know exactly where it is is because I'm only, uh, maybe an hour into it so far. And I've, I've been told the game doesn't even really get going until you're about three hours in. So I just started that on my PlayStation and, uh, maybe, maybe later this evening I'll go, I'll go play more of it. Cause that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, on my PC, I'm playing dream daddy with my fiance and we, <laughs> that game is a lot of fun. We're both really liking it. It's a, it's kind of a narrative game where you play a hot dad trying to date other hot dads all while trying to raise your 18 year old daughter who's about to go off to college. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's, it's cute, but it, 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 it's not realistic in, in any real sense, but it's, it's grounded enough that it makes you feel good. But it's also in this kind of utopic cul-de-sac where, you know, you're a homosexual dad who's also surrounded by a lot of really hot homosexual dads. And like, (laughs) that wouldn't happen. But the, the whole game is sort of based on this, you know, kind of utopic vision of what if life just was your favorite day every day? And, and that's a lot of fun. Gotcha. Now, so is the end result of the game 
having anything to do with the daughter going to college, or is it just kind of like that's just something that happens throughout the game as well, like that she's getting ready to go? Oh, so we haven't we we're just at the ending of the game, so oh, okay. I don't know exactly what the ending of the game brings, but I, I will say I think the biggest part in the game is actually taking care of your daughter. Like the game is called dream daddy and you go on all these dates with other dads, but the really like the sweetest part of the game, uh, is, is taking care of your daughter and seeing her go through, you know, all the things that a high school senior goes through, like, uh, getting dumped by a boyfriend or getting, you know, her friends who turn on her or her nervous, uh, applications to college when she gets into one, when she doesn't get into one stuff like that. And I think that's, it's, it's really sweet. And it again, builds, builds this sort of vision of, well, everything kind of works out in the end, because of course it does, because it's just a fun, utopic place to be in. Right. Gotcha. Um, so I, I'm trying to think, what was that? Was there something I was going to ask you um, about video games? Um, oh, here we go. Okay, so now, and this, this is totally like an almost, it doesn't, it's just more of a, I'm very curious what your thoughts on it. Because this is a thing that happens, it, it, at least it's happening to me, is I am constantly playing Fortnite and, like, PUBG. Oh, yeah. And there's an iOS game, uh, like, Rules of Survival, Days of Survival. And it's a, it's almost effectively PUBG on an iPhone. And right. um, have you seen this phenomenon and just kind of, like, these these Battle Royale games... And what is what does that do amongst the indie community? Because I feel like there's a there's a part of games like that kind of they come in, they shake up the scene because they introduce this kind of new game experience that's it existed before, but it never was quite this popular and kind of shifts all the attention over there. Is that is that something that you're like you pay attention to those types of trends? Like, how does that? Yeah, PUBG is really interesting. I think it's also neat to see games like Fortnite and kind of a, a lot of different uh, more more traditional games, but getting modes like this. I mean, I, I heard somebody say, what are the chances that the next Call of Duty has a, a one versus 100 mode or whatever? Uh, I think I think that stuff would be really neat. Uh, I also would be terrified to start on a PUBG game right now because games take a long time. And and even if I knew how to make one of those right now, it would still take me, you know, two years to get it out. Mm -hmm. So I think the really interesting stuff from the indie space is going to come with what do you do with this? If you think of it as a genre, well, okay, what do you add to it? What flavors, what, what are you bringing to it from other places? You know, what, what is the RPG equivalent of battle Royale or, or what is, you know, it, it's sort of like how MOBAs started out mm -hmm. as this top down Warcraft mod, but then you're getting different MOBAs that are FPSs or third person games. And Obviously, not all of that stuff works. The most popular ones are still going to be the ones that came out initially. But the ones that I find interesting are the ones that do something new and something cool with it. Gotcha. Um, now, so I I am out of, of questions that I had for you. Um, do you have any questions for me? Yeah. How, how do you like interviewing devs? Do you find that you, you learn a lot? Because I... I have like this one really small pocket of experience that I can talk to, but mm -hmm. that's kind of all I know. I imagine you're interviewing devs. I mean, all the time. Do you, I feel like you learn so much from having interviewed like a hundred people or something. Um, it's, I like, I always find it very cool. 
And and I I guess my approach to it is is like, hey, let's sit down and talk like we were best friends, but I've never met you before. Um because right. like I'm I like and, and again, like I said, like because the, like doing the podcast, interviewing people, going to shows like PAX and, and meeting people and talking to them about their game, I'm not I'm not um like a journalist who's like, okay, what's the genre? What's what's the goal here? What what do you, you know? What are the key features of your gameplay? I'm not necessarily ever looking for like specifics like that. I'm like, tell me about like just just tell me about the game and tell me about you, right? Because what you as a person have that's unique to you is what will shine in the game. So I'm always like, what's that? Like, what about you makes this game super interesting? And that's what makes me like a game. That's cool. Okay. Yeah. So, so I, what, what has been, what's been your most interesting, uh, in terms of game to guest ratio or, or game to eat, not even guest, but game to developer, like the, the person who you talk to, what's been the, the most random thing that you've seen? Like, Oh, this person made a game about puppies, but they're a super goth went in real life. Um, well, so, and I mean, I, I guess this is, I guess, I guess this is like an, an, a very accurate description. My friend J.C. Salinas, who made, um, is making a dual hand disaster tracker, is it's and it's a yeah. it's a twin stick risk em up and like honestly like literally thinking about it now like the game perfectly describes him because in a way it's it's utter controlled chaos. And JC does so many right. things and has literally like done all these things. He's a musician in a one man band where he plays everything. And if you watch the videos of him doing the music, he's going from, you know, instrument to instrument, but everything works. And then you look at his game and it looks insane, but everything works if you like look at it for a second and go, oh, okay, I understand. I've got the left side, I've got the right side, I've got a. You know, I've got a this, this connects to this and all of those things. And then that also bleeds into his game because when he's making the game, he did the music for the game. He did the visuals for the game. Um, and just like his story of how he came to make the game, um, I've always found pretty, pretty unique. Yeah, that, that's crazy. I, I met that guy, too, and, and he was talking about how he made it. And I asked him, well, how did you make all the different parts of it? And he just went... I don't know. I thought about it and then I did it. And and that was the, the most brilliant, succinct answer of just like, think about it and then do it. Holy crap. This guy's a genius. Right. Yeah. Well, he and he did. Um, I think he's done it a couple times. He does a panel at PAX and it's make games, not excuses. And literally you're sitting right. like I'm sitting in the audience because he's just like he talks about like and he shows how bad the game was when he first started. He's like, this is something I made in Game Maker. He's like, and this is terrible he's like but if you literally sit there and do nothing he's like you get nowhere he's like so just make a bad game and then make the bad game better and better and better until you go now it's cool and uh right. his q a's are always awesome because people were like what do i do and i remember one person he was like you just fucking do it he's like that's it he's like you just yeah you just start he's like he's like you you won't get anywhere if you don't he's like he's like don't don't allow yourself to make an excuse he's like just do it he's like if you fail you fail um and right. I, I've, I've always found that interesting um i i had um i had christine steimer on the sh on the podcast once and the whole like we didn't actually talk about really anything about like the gaming industry the whole episode was almost entirely about the game until dawn 
Oh, yeah. And so she'd played it, loved it. My co-host Mike had played it, loved it. I played the demo at PAX West when it was coming out. Freaked out. Watch people play the game on stream once the because the game had come out at that point. I will watch people yeah, even yeah. watching the streams. I would freak out. I would lose it because I can't. I just can't play scary games. I can't do jump scares. There's, there's something about there's something about horror games that I can't do. I can watch any horror movie you put in front of me, but as soon as you tell me that I have to step forward into this creepy room, I'm out. Like I'm I'm you know taking off the headphones, turning off the monitor. That's it. Yeah, like I, I watched um, and my co-host Mike, he played uh, Resident Evil in VR and did share play. So like I'm looking at my TV, oh, but it's man. moving around because he's looking and then like I've got my headphones on. So I've got the surround sound. I'm like, Mike, there's something behind you. Turn around. There's something behind you. I can hear it. I can hear right. the steps. <laughs> right. And, and like and I'm making him free. Like normally he doesn't freak out at all. But like my my nervousness about it is causing him to freak out. And I'm like, I can just close my eyes. I don't even have to look. Like I'm not playing the yeah. game, but it was right, uh, right, right. Yeah, horror games I can't, I just can't do it, and I can't honestly, I can't do horror movies either. And and like, there's a part of me that I can play, like I could play Resident Evil two right now because the graphics are so bad. But I remember being terrified of that game when it came out. But if I was to play right. those games today, the graphics are so. Like, even some, like, even The Last of Us, there was a point where I was like, man, this is a little too much for me. And that's not, it's a, it's a very much horror-esque game, but that's, its goal is more the suspense and the, the fear, not necessarily, like, gruesome kind of things. But, um... Yeah, it's more of a thriller in a way. Yeah. But that's, like, that's, like, probably, The Last of Us is probably, like, I've played, like, Resident Evil 5 with people like co-op and even then like they'll be like hey just so you know there's a there's gonna be a thing that pops out and then all of a sudden it, it pops out and i scream um like, right. it's like you could tell me exactly when it was gonna happen and i'm just like i can't and it's and i think it's because the graphics at this point are so good that it's way too real for me and i just can't uh i can't do it right yeah for me it's the it's the sound it's mm. I can, you could show me nothing. It could just be like an empty hallway, but play a creepy soundtrack over it. And I, I don't want to walk down that hallway. Right. It was like the, um, what was the Kojima? Um, what was that playable PT playable trailer? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. No, no, no thanks. Yeah, I was... remember peeing, people playing it and just being like, I no, I can't do this. See ya. Watch yeah, it, I played that because that, that took a while to to unlock every secret in it and whatever. And, and I mean, I, I didn't have the patience for that, but me and a friend looked it up and we got through two steps of the process and it started getting freaky enough that we both said, all right, that's cool. Turn it off. Yeah, exactly. You're like, all right, I've got enough. Wait, nice going. Nice going, Kojima. It's great. Yeah, Fantastic. yeah. I, I love I love all the lighting that you've put in this. It looks very amazing, but I, I can't do it. Right. And then even that, right, you, you, you go back to these games and you're like, oh, my God, it's so scary. I can't play it. But you're like, but look at what they like. Look at the technological masterpiece of what it is. The lighting effects, the sound, the the, you know, creaky footsteps as your character slowly walks. Like mechanically, there's there's so much behind these games. And I think a lot of people miss that. And those are the those are the discoveries that I like to have happen. Um, it's like, yeah. uh, for example, um, the sound of Mickey's footsteps in Fantasia 
was in that I could be wrong on this, but I'm almost 100% that I remember this story, was one of the animator's wallet opening and closing was what created the creaky steps. Oh, yeah, okay. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like that's a really weird thing to know, but it's a really interesting solution to a problem. Um, and it's like... Even, yeah, um, yeah, totally. You know, like when musicians, like they, you see the way they construct a, a song and you see like, you know, you're like, oh, that's totally sounds like a drum set. And then you realize they're just like hitting a box that was in the room at the time. And you're like, oh, yeah. right. wow, like creative solutions to problems. And I feel like in gaming, there's a ton of creative solutions to problems that most people don't ever get to see. Yeah, I mean, if, if anybody, if you or anybody listening is interested in that stuff, I have a blast listening to GDC Vault talks, mm -hmm. especially ones that cover postmortems or, you know, games that you know that have been out and they, they go through how they made it and the difficulties and stuff. And then sometimes you get these really random solutions that they came up with for a problem that that's, seems brilliant, but at the time probably sounded crazy. So I, I think a lot of that stuff can be found um, on YouTube now, which is which is incredible. I mean, I wish I had some of that stuff when I was growing up. Yeah, exactly. Well, and even that as a as a knowledge base or a resource base, like the amount of of available, you know, tutorials, demos, and just general information that we have today versus games that were made five years ago, ten years ago. Um, you know, there there weren't quite so many resources for them i always like it's one of those things i would love to sit down and just talk to people who made like sega genesis games and be like what do you do like there's a point in a sega yeah. genesis game right where you're like we're out of memory on the cart there's nothing else we can do yeah yeah and it's like here we don't like they're like the limitations that we have are, are much different than the limitations people were faced with you know 20 years ago and i always think that that's a like i want to put like those two people in a room and be like talk Please talk and let me sit here and listen. Right. Yeah, I, I personally find it really cool that uh, a lot of this is getting more democratized. Like eventually I want it to be to get to a point where you don't have to know anything about programming to just jump in and make a video game, because I think that's the more the closer we get to that, the more interesting topics start to get covered the neat gameplay elements that you know um you you might have had to know how to program something like maybe you had something really cool in your head but because you never got behind a computer you just never had the idea or the ability to do that i think the closer we get to hey you can just do this the the more interesting stuff comes out of it right and that's that's exactly what it's all about um so ben how which is, which is terrifying for me yeah but go ahead <laughs> oh no, no no that's i was i was gonna say how can people find you like twitter instagram websites yeah. all the things sure so uh my website is thewanderingben.com i'm also on twitter at the wandering ben and the game is a case of distrust which you can find at a case of distrust.com uh, or on Twitter at at a case of distrust, and you can buy it on Steam, on Game Jolt, or on itch.io. Is it pronounced itch.io, or is it itch? Like, do people call it itch.io? No, I've I've talked to the guy, some of the guys from Itch, and they all have different ways of pronouncing it. Oh, okay. Um, but they're all wrong. It's <laughs> it's it's itch. I I would say I would say it's itch.io. That's gotcha. probably my my definitive way to do it. But you know. I, I use slang sometimes. I don't use the proper words. So no, no, that's itch fine. or itch itch.io is good. Yep. But there's 
There's itch.io, which I'm I'm not. I'm on IO. I'm on team IO. Gotcha. It's like GIF and GIF. <laughs> right. Um, all right, cool. So uh if you're if you're looking for a neat game to play, uh everybody, I would highly recommend you check it out. Um and check out the website. Uh The Wandering Ben's got some neat traveling blog on it too, so you can see all the places that Ben has been. Uh, if you have questions, comments, concerns, feel free to tweet them at me at so after I said or at the podcast Twitter at the DG Cast. This has been episode ninety-two of the Disconnected Gamers Podcast. Ben, thank you so much for being here. It was fantastic. Hey, yeah, thanks. This was a lot of fun. Um, exactly. I had a blast. And uh, everybody who's listening, we will catch you on the next episode. See you later. <laughs>